Howdy do, everybody. It's Abdullah. And Bean. And welcome back for yet another edition of Great Moments in Weed History. On this podcast, myself and my colleague Bean, who are both cannabis journalists and media makers, go through some of the more interesting points in the very, very long history of cannabis, something that we both love and are pretty much obsessed with. And you should know that I myself have no prior knowledge of any of the stories being told. Bean has done the research and written the story. He's going to be telling me about it, and we're going to smoke some weed. We're going to have some tea, kick it, have a few laughs. So come and join us, and we're going to have some fun, and we're going to learn some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I got a great story for you today. Yeah, man. I'm really stoked. What do we got going on? Oh, it's it's got some twists and turns, uh, armies, world leaders, uh, a lot of people you don't normally associate with cannabis. It's it's a it's a grand and and winding tale. I'm I'm ready to lay it on you. Oh my god, it sounds super interesting, and I'm stoked, man. You know, I'm always. Uh, Really entertained by these stories. I'm always, I always learn a lot despite how much I already know about cannabis. And uh, yeah, I mean, this one sounds like it's going to be pretty fucking epic. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think we should uh, start uh, getting into it. Yeah, buckle up, roll one up. I see we've got one ready to spark up here in the studio. Uh, if you're at home, hit pause, roll one up yourself, pack one, get yourself situated because I think we're about to head. For another great moment in weed history. All right, so uh, Bean, I'm, I'm going to light up this J. Uh, what do you got going on for us today? Oh, we got a big open. Grand scale. Mm. In 1798, Napoleon invaded Egypt and Syria. Going way back. Way back. Uh, The plan was to establish French colonial rule and then push on to India. But by 1801, Napoleon's army had been expelled from the region entirely. Okay, wow. So these guys actually beat colonialism. Shout out you. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, colonialists, not friends of the podcast. Not anti-colonialists, friends, friends of the yeah, podcast. Hell yeah. Uh, and uh, but so this is a brief kind of failed military campaign. It's about three years. The whole thing uh, for Napoleon, it's a kind of a disaster. But the French soldiers make a sort of interesting discovery while they're in Egypt. Ah, okay. So so these guys are are over there. They're. Uh... Stumbling across like a bunch of ancient stuff. What uh? What do they discover? They discover that everybody there is smoking a bunch of hashish. And ah. uh, the second thing they discover is that they'll share their hashish. And the third thing is that hashish is pretty fucking nice. No kidding. So these guys are just hanging out. I mean, they've never experienced cannabis before. And suddenly here they are in sort of like an ancient hash center where everybody is still very much enthusiastic about the loud. Yeah, absolutely. It is not prohibited in those regions, and uh, the French soldiers really take a liking to it. No kidding. 
So, so what happens? Well, so, uh, you know, at the time, hashish culture had a long and storied history in Egypt and throughout the Islamic world. But for the French, it's, this is their first exposure to cannabis in its psychoactive form. So they know about hemp. Right. But they don't have any loud. They have quiet. Yeah, they have quiet. Exactly. <laughs> hemp is totally quiet. It's, it's very useful. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, this is a time where... Uh, European civilization is definitely facilitated by having hemp. You know what I mean? Like, look, they use it for all kinds of stuff. They use it to make materials, use it to make textiles and whatever else. Um, But now, I mean, they get to experience the whole other side of cannabis. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, these French soldiers start start smoking hash and not surprisingly, they liked it. Uh, some of them liked it a lot. They definitely brought it back to France because you should see how much French people like hash. They love that (laughs) shit to this day. Yeah, I hope somebody in France is listening. I hope somebody in Egypt is listening. Yeah. It's nice. uh, France is actually just uh, coming around to to looking at some serious decrim because they have harsh laws. Oh, no kidding. You know, a lot of good good stuff's happening in Europe right now with, with changing some of the laws, even in places you think of as progressive, like, you know, France, harsh. Yeah. Well, that's a bummer. France, merci beaucoup in advance of your uh, cannabis decriminalization. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, what happens is this, this begins to uh, go up the ranks, stories of all this weed smoking, and shocked by reports of heavily lidded soldiers struggling to march in formation, uh, in 1800, Napoleon himself issued an ordinance to the French Army of Occupation. So he's going to weigh in on hash. Like, oh, no kidding. What do you think he's going to say? I mean, I think Napoleon was pretty much like a cop, you know what I mean? And he's going to be a bummer on weed. Are you basing it, as I would be and am, on the Napoleon in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Uh, partially, yes. <laughs> you I know, don't think anyone... That is, look, you know... That Bill and Ted is kind of the precursor to this show, all right? <laughs> it's it's not like another history show or documentary series. It's uh it's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. Yeah, the whole can they're they're both canon to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then there was the cartoon, uh Bill and Ted cartoon. It was called like Wild Stallions Rule or something. <laughs> or maybe it was just called Bill and Ted, I don't know. I think that's like one of those extra, extra non-canonical texts. Yeah, it's apocryphal. <laughs> but, you know, this is where we differ, all right, man? I think that there's a lot of valuable theological knowledge in the Bill and Ted cartoon. But, you know, you you consider that to be outside of the, the canon. Yeah, I think we're going to have to splinter into two sects. Yeah. And kind of bitterly, right? Yeah, definitely. It's going to have to be bitter because we're definitely right. Uh, you know, and you guys are definitely wrong. You have a we? What's that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the five minutes before we started, since we started this conversation, I've got followers now. Uh, you know, they're my religious followers, but uh, they mainly just express that following uh, on a social media app called Instagram. And, you know, that's my <laughs> that's my religious following right there. You know what I mean? There's legions of them. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll anyway, we're not going to resolve this dispute tonight. I say we spend thousands of years uh, bitterly contesting each other over it. Yeah, sounds good to me. Let's, uh, you know, take up arms and, uh, you know, persecute each other at every given opportunity based on uh, imaginary beliefs and, uh, you know, scripted bullshit. 
Perfect. Sounds good. All right. You want to finish this podcast out before we do that? Though? Yeah. Yeah. Real quick. All right. I feel like we started it. So how does Napoleon feel about weed? This is he. Well, we know exactly how he feels about weed because we have his words. Oh, boy. This is his decree to the soldiers. So so some other like military commander would come out, gather all these French soldiers and say, listen up, knuckleheads. Yeah. <laughs> this is from the fucking chief. And he says... It is forbidden in all of Egypt to use certain Muslim beverages made with hashish or likewise to inhale the smoke from seeds of hashish. Hmm. Habitual drinkers and smokers of this plant lose their reason and are victims of violent delirium, which is the lot of those who give themselves full to excesses of all sorts. Hmm. All right. So, uh, you know, first off, Thanks for crediting us for coming up with, with beverages, because yes, <laughs> you're welcome, world. That was this kind of brown people <laughs> who are making that sweet, sweet weed milk. And secondly, you know, uh, part of me agrees with Napoleon, because as much as I love smoking cannabis, I hate smoking cannabis seed husks, as you know. <laughs> yeah. This comes up a lot. I have a huge, you know, I, it's a massive pet peeve of mine when sometimes you accidentally smoke some seed husk. And, you know, this is something that weirdly comes up in history a bunch, the discussion of smoking cannabis seeds, which, I mean, I don't know if they contain any THC or whatever, but they taste like shit when you smoke them. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I've seen that too, like ancient Scythians. Scythians or Scythians, I've heard both ways. Dan Carlin says Scythians, and, you know, history podcast guy, we should say Scythians. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, hopefully, both, yeah. Both Dan and the Scythians. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right, so anyway, uh, what happens? What? Okay, so Napoleon is, as expected, a total knob about weed. And, uh, you know, he's decreed now that no French soldiers should fucks with it. They should not be drinking Muslim beverages, uh, you know, with uh, the, all the sketchy brown people down there. Um, he's not having it. He doesn't want his uh, his French soldiers to be lit. Yeah, and like all attempts to prohibit weed, it works, right? Yeah, geez Louise. Why is it always so easy to prohibit weed? You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? No one's paying attention and boom. Yeah. So despite coming down from the very top, uh, Napoleon's decree apparently had very little practical effect. As contemporary accounts make clear, the edict was widely disregarded by the rank and file. Nice. Screw the man. Uh, you know, people are shirking Napoleon's uh, lame wad attempts to banish their cannabis smoking. Not going to have it. Yeah. Viva la hashish. So, yeah, Napoleon's buzzkill pronouncement was also ignored by three scientists he brought with him to Egypt so they could study the country and its customs. Uh, a, a charge they apparently took quite seriously because all three started smoking hash themselves, and they also sent samples home to colleagues in France for further study. Ah, okay, so, you know, much as uh, today's USPS, uh, <laughs> it was not terribly difficult to, you know, send some, uh, send some gas in the mail, you know what I mean? Sometimes you want to do that kind of thing uh, in ancient Egypt. <laughs> Because your homies in France don't even know what that's like. And you're like, 
Yo, man, I'm trying all the customs down here. They're delicious. And I'm going to send you some of these customs because it's 1700 and we ain't got no customs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They were probably like, oh, you know, greetings, Egypt. It's quite a fascinating, wonderful place. I guess they would have terrible French accents and yeah. terrible English accents. They're like, we and have only like, come up with pea soup so far. <laughs> they're like, they're like, uh, they've got this stuff, hashish, it's quite lovely, and they have the best food I've ever tasted in my life. <laughs> yeah. Dude, and they're like, that guy's been eating camel shit <laughs> since he got here, and he loves it. We keep pointing him to the yeah. buffet, but he, he eats from our dunghill <laughs> quite prodigiously. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm just gonna do an English accent for any. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say that's like a French guy would be so offended by that. He'd be like, "That's a British accent." Sorry, but, sorry, France. But yeah, I mean, so look, no one's listening to Napoleon. Everyone's getting lit. Yeah, it was uh, the best part of this of this invading army. Mm. So meanwhile, when the occupation ended and the French army returned home, they brought a taste for hashish with them. Almost immediately, a trade route opened up between Egypt and France that in time grew large enough to supply all of Europe. Soon, hashish could be found uh, in any well-stocked pharmacy, and the public was clamoring to know everything possible about this exotic new drug. Wow. They were like, oh, how many different strains can I get? (laughs) Do you have those forbidden fruit vape cartridges available? (laughs) I mean, this is interesting. I mean, so this is sort of an ideal situation for cannabis. You can walk into a pharmacy and get it. Uh, It's, you know, sitting alongside other herbal medicines, I'm sure. You know what I mean? And then, like, leeches because it's fucking (laughs) 1700s. You know what I mean? And, like, they're like lobotomies, two for one. (laughs) <laughs> it's in the L section, leeches, lobotomies, yeah. loud. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, and I'm sure lobotomies came later, perhaps. I I don't know. But, okay, so, you know, now it, it's been introduced. Napoleon is probably like, what the fuck? I said no weed, and there's weed everywhere. Well, if you, if you read the decree carefully, he just says, don't get up into this while you're in Egypt. Oh, okay, cool. He's more like, hey, let's focus on the subjugating foreign lands and conquering them and taking all their shit. Right. And we'll get stoned on your time. Right, right, right. Okay, gotcha. So Muslim beverage is okay (laughs) as long as you drink it in France. I think, like, if you're kicking up your feet after a long day of conquering, shit went well. Would crack open a Muslim beverage? Yeah. And there's there's ads on, like, ancient... (laughs) French TV. <laughs> and then you have three flavors of ice cream at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's right. That's how we know he got high. Yeah. No, that's, isn't that Neapolitan and not Napoleon, though? <laughs> you did not know the difference, did you? No, you thought that that was... You, wait, so did you think that Neapolitan was somehow related to Napoleon? Yeah, he totally thought so. I think so. I thought it was a Napoleon. All right, I got No, a Napoleon is like a small, like, uh, pastry. Yeah. All right? Yeah. No. And the ice cream, the three kinds of Neo- <laughs> ice cream is Neapolitan. <laughs> and it's uh, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. Yeah, it's I know what it is. 
ice cream is when you take I don't know what you know or don't know at this point. <laughs> you take milk and cream and sugar yeah. and you freeze it. No, I definitely do not need to tell you anything about ice cream. No, apparently Bean, you do. That's uh, now, Bean uh, is an obsessed ice cream freak. He's more into ice cream than weed, that's probably. That's maliciously untrue, but equally. But, but yeah, equally, yeah, right? Ice. It I is. It's almost cream. true. And the problem is only one of them is really bad for you if you eat too much. It's yeah. It's definitely ice cream. It's weed. Oh, no, it's not weed. <laughs> it's not weed. The ice cream's bad. And I think when we did that <laughs> weed ice cream bong appetite, that was like a peak moment for me. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, man. I ate out of the machine. <laughs> out of the weed ice cream machine. I've been told my whole life not to do that. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Napoleon's a dick. Soldiers are getting lit. Egypt is awesome. Uh, and now weed has made it back to France. It's it's part of the lifestyle. French people are drinking wine and eating hash. <laughs> <laughs> that that they are. And it's this, uh, you know, it's like like so. You think of when you first start smoking weed, you get kind of obsessed with it, and you want to know everything about it. And now it's like a whole country's doing that at once. Yeah, dude, holy shit, it's an age of discovery. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> prior to 1800, mm -hmm. all of French literature, including travel books and botanical books, had produced less than 10 references to cannabis. But over the next five uh, decades, at least 33 books and articles would be published on the subject in France. Oh, no kidding. So people are studying cannabis. Of course, it's the 1700s, so they're like, if you throw it off a bridge, it floats. Like, that's like <laughs> yeah. the experimentation has not gotten to a point. You know, there's still like, you know, we set it on fire. And then, you know, all the music sounded really good for some reason. <laughs> and then our notes trailed off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's interesting is like, I mean, we could both relate to this. There's like this media rush. Yeah. Everybody wants to know. And uh, all these books and articles come out. And uh, even... Uh, the 1001 Nights, which was first translated into French in 1717, so like almost 100 years earlier, the first translation, it jumps back up to the top of the bestseller list because it has these descriptions of hashish in it. Oh, no kidding. So <clears throat> there's a fascination with this exotic new thing, kind of. And I mean, it seems like, you know, th th this is interesting because, again— when cannabis is introduced into a society that's unfamiliar with it, you know, at first exposure, it's not going to be treated like some sort of illicit, scary, dangerous drug. You know what I mean? It sort of just eases its way in. You know what I mean? If it was dangerous in any way, it would suddenly like ring off all kinds of alarm bells. You know what I mean? But instead, it's like, look, people are just getting used to it. They're getting into it. You know, it's something new. Yeah, and it's really interesting how this transition happens because it's like you send an army to some place to do like one of the worst possible things you can do to people. Mm -hmm. And then in you know, they send back weed, hash, which is like one of the best possible things you could do to people. Mm -hmm. Um and it sets all of this in motion. Um Yeah, seriously. So uh, amid this craze in 1840, Dr. Jacques-Joseph Moreau, who was already a leading psychiatrist, he reads a scientific article that claimed that the Egyptians were less susceptible to diseases that plagued Europeans because they smoked hashish. 
Yeah, I mean, look, cannabis is, you know, now being discovered to be an antimicrobial, uh, you know, to be a a therapeutic, you know, uh, an anti-inflammatory, you know what I mean? To be all sorts of things that are going to make you more healthy. Yeah, not just to treat symptoms and conditions, but to maintain health for wellness, I think is, you know, a good, mm. a good word that gets a bad rap. Yeah, seriously. Know? But yeah, you know, they're... Uh, their endocannabinoid systems are much more attuned than Europeans at this point. Yeah, they're they're well lubricated. Yeah. As to use your uh, earlier metaphor from another episode, the French have like bone dry. Yeah. Uh, endocannabinoid systems. Yeah, seriously. So they're like, you know, that's why it's it's popping off in France. That's why everybody's getting into the hash, man. They're just topping off. Yeah. So so this uh, Dr. Moreau, his curiosity peaked. He decides to acquire a sample of hashish. He'd been studying the minds of the insane for several years and thought conducting an N1 experiment, so that's like experimenting on yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, on a hallucinogen like hashish might prove illuminating. Um, And Mm -hmm. here he explains his reasoning. Uh, To understand an ordinary depression, it is necessary to have experienced one. To comprehend the ravings of a madman... It is necessary to have raved oneself, but without losing the awareness of one's madness, without having lost the power to evaluate the psychic changes occurring in the mind. So this is uh, Dr. Moreau explaining uh, why he decides to to get lit. Like from the island of Dr. Moreau, the guy who like merges animals and people? Marlon Brando? Dude, you ruined the... That <laughs> is, that the, is that the great, great moment? moment? Yeah, he's when he decides to merge man and animal, he is blamed. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I think it works out great, right? And now there's all kinds of half human, half animal, yeah, people. Well, yeah, I don't know if people's the right word, but yeah, hey man, that look, you, yo, <laughs> B, don't bring your weird prejudices <laughs> against the uh, half animals, half people. <laughs> They're people, too, and they're also animals, and Uh, we're animals, too, I guess. Indeed. I'm going to read from a prepared statement. Yeah. Um, The PC thing really changed. (laughs) My earlier comments uh, vis-a-vis people, animals, and people-animal hybrids were uh, made in what was meant to be a joking manner. I understand that that joke was hurtful to people. I take full responsibility for that, and I'll be working to improve my relationship with the half-person, half-man community moving forward. Yeah. I'm going to throw him under the bus preemptively because I've heard his rantings about how animal people are more animal than people or more people than animal. Whichever it is, look, it's I find it all very offensive. <laughs> but, wow, we got off track on that one. This is a we have a religious sect war going that yeah. we haven't even really gotten back to. Yeah, seriously. And now we have this. Um <laughs> A lot of beef. So, different Dr. Moreau. Yeah. It's an intense episode. All right. So so Dr. Moreau, not the Dr. Moreau who's merging animals and people on an island, uh, but a different one, is out there uh, living the French life. Yeah. So he's, he's like, I'm going to try this stuff and see if I can uh, learn a thing or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he tries a small dose at first. And his notes describe experiencing a kind of lethargic euphoria. Not bad. 
That's okay. A good, yeah, it's good. Lethargic time. euphoria. Um, at higher doses, however, and he's he's eating it. He's not smoking. Oh, why he's going hard? Yeah, he's well. You know, he doesn't even know. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at higher doses, uh, he says time and space became distorted. Ideas flowed quickly, but were difficult to organize, and sensory perceptions verged on being overwhelming. Okay, so he's lit. I mean, he's you know he's as you would say he's like edible lit. You know, time and space are now the same thing. Can't differentiate between them. Uh, he's spiraling out. And look, you know, as we said, someone with a bone-dry endocannabinoid system is more likely to have some sort of fucked-up freak-out. You know what I'm saying? Having, like, look, and this guy is not, uh, you know, eating, like, 10 milligram squares of a Kiva bar, you know? <laughs> he's pounding face with, like, some, you know, fucking wild... Uh, Majun balls, you know, and he, he doesn't know how strong they are. He's fucked. Uh, but he definitely doesn't know what THC is. He's just, you know, he's freestyling. Yeah. So all sorts of perceptional distortions are happening. Yeah. So uh, he comes out of this and and he feels like, okay, this must have been a little taste of what madness feels like. Mm. So he thinks, all right, I'm on the right track if I want to understand mental illness. So to further his research, he decides to conduct a series of experiments. Only this time, he wants to stay sober so he can study how hash affects other people and not be altered. Okay, so I hope he has some bowls of snacks and, like, small, like, you know, board games and shit sitting around because he's about (laughs) to get a bunch of people lit and watch what happens. You ever see those things on social media that are like, get paid $5 million to smoke Mm. weed for an hour? Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing, like, a bunch of subway signs in Philly at one point where they were, like, you know, UPenn or whatever was doing a study and trying to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, come through and, like, smoke a bunch of weed. And everyone was like, oh, I should do that. I mean, I really should have called them. (laughs) (laughs) They would have been like, well, people can smoke quite a lot of weed. Yeah. You know what I mean? They would have been you, like you would have brought up some of the averages. Yeah. All the all the all the good stuff. When I'm leaving, they're like, Oh, if you're taking the subway back, could you take down all our fucking ads because our <laughs> our weed is gone. Right. Sir. <laughs> also, could you could you get us some weed? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know where to, you definitely know where to get weed, yeah, right? That was what this was all about. We're just researchers with no weed connect. Oh, yeah, right? It's like a a guy who's, like, new to UPenn. He's like, yeah, I'm doing a weed study. You know what I mean? He's just, like, trying to get some... Uh, You know, and good Shout out to you, friend of the podcast. Yeah, man. Um, So, uh, the good Dr. Moreau, uh, what he does is he puts out a few invitations to Paris's leading writers and artists with the rather sensible assumption that the offer of altered consciousness is going to appeal to these creative people. Oh, yeah. I mean, and look, again, when there's no stigma about cannabis, these are the logical steps you take. You, like, take it and you're like, whoa, I feel tripped out and wild, and I'm, like, thinking in all kinds of crazy, colorful patterns. I'm going to give this to a guy who, like, plays the French horn. You know what I mean? And see what the fuck happens. Um, He puts out all these invitations, and the first time uh, he convenes the club, the Hashishans, the uh, the Hashish Club, 
among the people who show up are Alexandra Dumas, Victor Hugo, Balzac, Baudelaire. So, like, all of these leading French writers and intellectuals. Yeah. Are all hanging out and getting high as fuck. Yeah. He pulls all these people together. So. And they've never used cannabis before. These guys are, like, all, like, you know, the biggest creatives around. And they've never used weed. Yeah. Oh, and shit. this is like, so Dumas wrote uh, Count of Monte Cristo. He wrote The Three Musketeers. Uh, Hugo wrote Les, uh, Les Miserables, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. So, you know, these are guys who they were well known in their time, but they're still, uh, you know, biggies. Yeah, dude, that's fucking crazy, man. And And these guys are like, I mean, did their work change after they started getting loaded? Yeah, some of them, for yeah. sure. And some of them, uh, we'll get into it, but a lot of them write uh, directly about the experience. Oh, no shit. It's a weed writing about Gold Rush that's, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, kind of experiencing that now. Yeah, seriously. And now that's like, you know, look, a lot of people, including us, make a living that way. You know what I mean? Just really uh, talking, like, about cannabis or making stuff that's inspired by cannabis. And, I mean, you don't hear about these, like, you know, uh, legends of, f- like, classical French literature, you know, like, doing that shit. Yeah, and this is really, like, even a golden era in French literature as a total. You know, if you asked people what what were the great eras of French literature, this is one that undoubtedly would be on every list. You know, I don't pretend to be an expert about it, but I know that. Um, so, yeah. So this is a scene, you know? Yeah, no shit. All right, so what happened? Okay, so officially, while Dr. Moreau is pulling the strings uh, behind the scenes, officially the club was founded by this guy, Theophile Gautier, sorry, uh, a failed painter and poet who at 24 had pivoted, uh, I don't know if they used that word then, and he became a best-selling author after publishing Mademoiselle de Maupin, uh, which was a novel that shocked French society by telling the story of a transsexual person. Oh, no kidding. Wow, and this is a long time ago, too, right? Yeah. It was a sympathetic portrayal. Um, oh, that's really so cool. It, it was, he's this guy, and he's only 24 at this time. Um, and <laughs> I just liked this. In the book's introduction... He uh, wrote that there should be a special award given to anyone who invents a new pleasure for enjoyment seems to me to be the end of life and the only useful thing in the world. Wow, dude. And so it's like cannabis is, you know, either coinciding with or helping to catalyze like a whole revolution in thinking that's going on in France, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, so... The best description we have of what goes on at this club comes from this guy. Um, In 1846, he wrote uh, an essay describing his experiences at the club, and and this description kind of, like, went viral. Like, it was because of the big names involved in it, it captivates, like, the French uh, imagination. Right. He, He describes how... Members of the club gather together. They drink this special drink. Uh, it's uh, a special blend of strong coffee. I like coffee. Hashish, nutmeg, cloves, cinnamon, pistachio, 
orange juice, cantharides, and uh, sugar and butter. That's a lot of ingredients, man. Definitely a French recipe, huh? That's a lot of stuff in one thing. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and wait, does that have cannabis in it? Yeah, it's 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 cannabis. Is the hash is in there? Um, so they're like melting the hash into this drink. No kidding, a heady brew of like all kinds of like nutty and spicy things. Yeah, and a little butter too. So you heat that butter up, and it's like bulletproof coffee with weed in it. So these these gatherings of the club de hashishans take place in a 200-year-old hotel. Okay, so this is the the Hashish Club's founder uh, in this essay describing how it all goes down. It was in an old house on the Ile de Saint-Louis where the strange club held its monthly seance. The doctor stood by a buffet on which lay a platter filled with small Japanese saucers. He spooned a morsel of paste or greenish jam about as large as a thumb from a crystal vase and placed it next to the silver spoon on each saucer. So this is what we would like mix into your coffee, this paste of all the other things. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So it's like a little concentrated, you know, kind of syrup you've got of all these ingredients. Yeah. And he's really carefully measuring the dose because he's thinking while they're like thinking this is a fun bohemian club. He's thinking, I'm going to publish this as scientific research. Right. Um, so he's, he's got it carefully divided. Um, and so he, said, he writes, The doctor's face radiated enthusiasm. His eyes glittered. His purple cheeks were aglow. The veins in his temples stood out strongly, and he breathed heavily through dilated nostrils. Uh, the doctor said, This will be deducted from your share in paradise, as he handed me my portion. Holy shit. So this, I mean, who is this being given this? Uh... Everybody at the club, the doctor, oh, okay. one by one, serves you this little greenish paste. Oh, okay. So he's basically dosing everybody's coffee. Yeah. With the weed paste. Oh, no shit. That's fucking crazy. That's an awesome idea for a party, too. Yeah, we should definitely have that party. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's a little scary for, for you and I is, you know, he says, this is being deducted from your portion in paradise. Oh, my God. That means there's going to be nothing left. If I'm smoking my afterlife weed right now, <laughs> I would be bummed on that. There should be, like, just the whole ration of weed that's just for the afterlife, right? Like, I've, super weed. The spirit realm cannabis is definitely, like, got to be the fucking better weed. You know what I mean? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> no seed husks. Yeah, seriously. Okay. All right, so what happened? So at, at, at each meeting, um, as Moreau quietly, Dr. Moreau quietly took notes, Balzac and the rest drank off their cups of this potion and then indulged in a great feast while waiting for the drugs to take hold, uh, which usually happened around the time they finished eating. Oh, shit. Um, so given the various members' accounts of the experience, uh, they all described like powerful hallucinations. So it's safe to assume that they took pretty large amounts of THC. Yeah. It's pretty hard to attain visual hallucinations off cannabis unless you're, like, really sensitive to it. But with edibles, I mean, it's possible. It's it's more than possible. Yeah. I've experienced it. Yeah, yeah, I've experienced it as well, definitely. Only a couple times, but... And it takes a lot of edibles. And kind of, like, the right amounts that you don't just fall asleep, you know what I mean? 
But you also, you have like, you know, you ever heard they say someone who drinks a lot has a hollow leg? Yeah. You have a hollow lung, dude. Or a hollow yeah. weed stomach. Yeah, seriously, man. I, I don't know. But there's people who can eat even more than I can. You know what I mean? That shit is crazy to me. Yeah, but I'm like, a, uh, you know, 15 milligrams of THC for me is like That's a good. nice dose. That's good. I can almost never tell when I eat edibles. Anything, weed dinner, eat at edibles bar, I can't tell. I, I don't know if it's getting me stoned or not. I mean, I'm smoking too. I, you know what I mean? But I really couldn't be like, yeah, I'm stoned from those edibles. No idea. Well, we'll have to follow this recipe sometime and we'll... Yeah, we're that. having that party. Um. So, So some of the people in the club really dig this and some of them are, you know, not too into it. Right. Uh, so Baudelaire, for example, rarely indulged. Uh, based on a belief that wine makes men happy and sociable, hashish isolates them. Wine exalts the will, hashish annihilates it. That, that annihilates the will? I mean, it's like kills your motivation or just like, you know, your ability to reason, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a harsh assessment. Especially he's big enough alcohol so yeah I, like, I know right which it's it's really the opposite man look alcohol is the thing that destroys your will so basically uh people are being dicks about weed bartolaris uh, bartolaris being a dick about weed okay but but in his defense he did acknowledge this is bartolaris still he did acknowledge that the club's signature beverage had a creatively stimulating effect on some of the other members mm-hmm. and this is what he says um it sometimes happens that people completely unsuited for wordplay will improvise an endless string of puns and wholly improbable idea relationships fit to outdo the ablest masters of this preposterous craft. Wow, so it makes you an instant philosopher is what he's saying. Yeah, and like wordplay and puns. Hey, he's a pun he's a weed pun fan. Yeah, shit, he would probably get along with you super well. <laughs> And I mean, also, he's basically saying that people are really good at freestyling when they get high. You know what I mean? Which is absolutely true. Yeah. And even people who like he's saying, even people who he thinks of as kind of like not that with it, get way more with it. Yeah. Yeah. He's like suddenly, you know, I don't know. People are like putting him out of work. You know what I mean? (laughs) He's like, wait a minute. How can someone there could be a substance that just makes you think like, you know, whatever. Like a great creative thinker, like just all of a sudden. But, yeah, maybe he feels a little threatened. Yeah, seriously. It sounds like it. Oh, I think we got into the subtext here. Yeah. Um, so he goes on, uh, but after a few minutes, the relation between ideas becomes so vague and the thread of thoughts grows so tenuous that only your cohorts can understand you. Yeah. Dude, holy shit. So it's like almost like people are like all like, you know, kind of transported to like like another dimension with like another language altogether. You know? Yeah, it's like especially remember when you were first getting high, like you and your friends would be falling out over something. Yeah, and then if you tried to explain why it was funny to somebody else, you couldn't. You could not. Yeah, they'd be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah, so I mean, so, so this is happening. And without the inhibition of you know this thing being illegal, again, you know, people are sort of free to explore this new experience without, like, hiding out and doing it. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's kind of awesome. 
Yeah, and they're, you know, writing about their experiences, which is uh, inspiring. And, and kind of they're kind of like paving the way of weed writing for us. Yeah, that's really dope, man. Some of the first weed writers. Well, of the time. There was the weed time. writers before that in ancient China and shit. <laughs> um, so Baudelaire obviously doesn't become a hashish head. Uh, but he does decide to write a book called The Artificial Paradise, uh, which is mostly about his experiences getting high and his observations of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, the book makes uh, Hash seem pretty righteous, but he kind of tacks on this like moralistic ending. Right, interesting. So, I mean, so, so in, in the end, I mean, he's like, well, so, so the alcohol thing was from that book, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I mean, regardless of witnessing the brilliance of cannabis. The guy remains kind of a kind of a turd about the whole thing. Yeah, and you know what? In all this sort of like uh, recovery literature, there's always sort of this strain of like, here's all these crazy stories, uh, but it was horrible. Yeah, you know, he kind of falls into that with hashish, mm-hmm. um, but it's very different than you know other things. So right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but so here's his here's here's kind of a cool passage from the book. He says, let it be well understood then by worldly and ignorant folk, curious of acquaintance with exceptional joys, that they will find in hashish nothing miraculous, absolutely nothing but the natural in a super abundant degree. Uh, He he explains it a little bit more. Okay. So he says, uh, the brain and the organism upon which hashish operates will only give their ordinary and individual phenomenon magnified, it is true, both in quantity and quality, but always faithful to their original. Men cannot escape the fatality, man cannot escape the fatality of his moral and physical temperament. Hashish will be, indeed, for the impressions and familiar thoughts of the man, a mirror which magnifies yet no more than a mirror. Honestly, I think, again, somebody trying to describe being high in in English words just doesn't fucking make any sense because it's like, look, these are abstract feelings and sensations this guy's having. And that's the thing about, look, you know, we treat weed writing as like writing stories about, you know, that relate to weed in some way and are interesting, whatever. These guys are engaging in like the high school form of weed writing, which is getting stoned and trying to describe what you're feeling or thinking. I definitely have like diagrams and shit in old notebooks from high school of like, you know, trying to describe what being stoned feels like. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, You know, whatever. (laughs) You know, this, uh, this is, you know, everyone, the only way to really figure it out is by getting lit and, I got to say that the English language definitely wasn't invented by somebody who was doing a lot of psychedelics because, uh, you know, there's really no way to describe <laughs> any, you know, anything truly psychedelic in the English language, I think. Or in French, apparently. Or in French, yeah. And uh, I don't know, maybe this totally makes sense in French, to tell you the truth. I have no idea. And maybe the person who translated it had never smoked. That's a good point. Okay. You know, yeah. one for Baudelaire, maybe. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And also, like, what it reminds me of is like, you know, I'm sure when you were at Vice, you got a lot of these emails, and I got a lot of emails when I was at High Times, like, 
that were basically like, what about a story about this? And then what Baudelaire just said, like, nothing is different than what you when you're not high, but it's like better. Yeah. That's what he's basically saying. Nothing's different when you're high, but it's just better. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think that's actually a pretty good description of it. You know what I mean? It's like, it is. He could uh, have condensed it a little bit. Yeah, it's not drastically different from, you know, your the real world or how you perceive it, but it's a little better, you know? Yeah, I think he just says it's the natural in a super abundant degree. Yeah. Maybe if he just said that. Yeah. <laughs> he needed an editor. Yeah, seriously. Every, everybody does. <laughs> Um, so that was Baudelaire and Dumas, who's actually I really, really enjoyed. Like, have you ever read uh, Three Musketeers? And- uh, man in the Iron Mask was that yeah. one of his? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen the movies of everything, man. I, I love those stories. Yeah, yeah. And he has. He's one of the ones who's more like he's down. He likes it. He uses yeah. it. Uh, it's inspirational to him, and he has that sort of playful, uh, caperish sense of humor in those books. Yeah, no, that's really interesting, man. So he found literary inspiration in his hashish experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, He even included in The Count of Monte Cristo a description of an after-dinner sesh uh, that actually sounds a lot like a night at the club de hashishans. Oh, no shit. So he's like working it into his, uh, you know, into his actual writing. That's kind of cool. Not a Dumas, that guy. <laughs> Very cool cat. Oh, that was a good pun. <laughs> you know what? You can use that one anytime he yeah. comes up. I have. <laughs> um, so in this description uh, in the book, in The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, the host of this dinner offers the main character of the book a greenish paste, uh, just like what Dr. Monroe, uh, just like what Dr. Moreau was uh, dispensing. And the host says, taste this. And the boundaries of possibility disappear. The fields of infinite space open to you. You advance free in heart, free in mind, into the boundless realms of unfettered reverie. Whoa. So again, a lot of flowery language. All right. So yeah, I mean, you know, again, uh, it's hard to really describe. That, that He did a better job than the other guy, for sure. But again, it's hard to describe me still. He seems like a much more fun guy to get stoned with. Yeah. He's talking about reveries and shit. He's a happy cat, you know? Yeah, the fields of infinite space open to you. Yeah, that's That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's very dope. Man, imagine if these guys ate some fucking mushrooms. Well, that's uh, great, great moments in mushroom history. Oh, yeah. Different competing. Those guys are kind of our rivals. Yeah, but it's actually us as like with different (laughs) names and shit. (laughs) Not a bad idea. All right. So that we're we're wrapping this one up. I wanted to give one little end note on the story because I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, This is a bit of historical conjecture on my part, but um, there's this word in French called flaneur. Um. And it means to take an aimless walk uh, and really in a city. So so, not, so it's a verb to basically mean to, to stroll, to stroll down the sidewalk. Yeah, without a destination. Okay. And you're kind of wandering around a city. And it was both a verb and a noun. If you did it a lot, you were a flaneur. Oh, you're like, 
Hey, Gina, I'm going out for a flaneur. <laughs> right? Something yeah, like pick that. Pick me up a baguette. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I don't have any kind of accent. That's just... And wine. And, and wine. go to the pharmacy and give me some hash. <laughs> and runny cheese. <laughs> um, and so... And uh, uh, and uh, don't get me, uh, you know, the armpit razors, uh, you know, because we don't do that here. We do not. <laughs> and I would like fried potatoes in the local style. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fries. Uh, just fries. Just That's fries. what we call them here. <laughs> um, so there's, uh, for a while, this word flaneur has like a negative connotation. It's It seemed as like, uh, deemed like a shiftless, indolent sort of thing to do. Mm. But um, Balzac and Baudelaire and some of the other people from the club mm-hmm. uh, bring it back and put a positive spin on it. Because they're like walking home baked from this club and they're like, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's crazy as shit, man. To think that like, look, a a lot, you know, these are uh, creative people, writers and thinkers that are like, you know, considered some of the greats in history by scholars and shit at the stuffiest places in the world. You know what I mean? Where you would never be able to sit there and like light up a J, you know, in a mahogany chair and shit. But they have cannabis to thank for a lot of the fucking great art and literature. And in fact, I think the oranges, the oranges, in fact, I think the origins of human beings creating art was sparked by, you know, not necessarily cannabis, but psychedelic materials, you know, like cave art and shit. Yeah. You know? It was kind of a tangent. But, uh, yeah, anyhow, so so uh, what happens with these dick bags? <laughs> no, we're... we're... <laughs> <laughs> this? I'm out of prepared remarks. <laughs> I feel like that dick bag was, was, was a long time coming out. Yeah. <laughs> You ever read that uh, uh, that Darwin book, the orange, the oranges of the species? The, yeah, man, that motherfucker could write about oranges for a long ass time, huh? And that book changed everything in the orange game. Yeah, dude. Seriously, man, it's, it, it really is something to consider. <laughs> And that about wraps it up for this episode of Great Moments in Weed History. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a nice little review if you're so inclined. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and SoundCloud at at GMIWH Podcast. And please give us a tweet or a post if you like the show. And with that, we'll close it out. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. that's the show folks thanks so much for listening and if you stuck around this long please consider supporting us on patreon you could put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com and that would really help us as we research write edit and publish a new episode every weedness day great moments in weed history is written produced and performed by me david bean aka bean 
Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout. 